0: And welcome to Catholics Coast to Coast, where as we head into Advent, we get to take conversations a little deeper and help us as we definitely celebrate the incarnation of Christ. I'm Ace McKay, your host. And remember, you can always take these podcasts with you as you travel during the holiday season. Just go to EWTN.com slash Radio to make sure you download and check out future or previous episodes that you might have missed. This week, we're going to jump right into the discussion of how should married couples really understand submission in marriage? Is it the outdated practice or a misinterpreted piece of Christian wisdom? In this week's episode of Precana with the Pope, Father Mike's video is explored in a true essence of submission in marriage and then drawing from ideas of Pope John Paul II, along with with our experience in marriage and the challenge of a false dichotomy from Ephesians 5. Let's get into Pre-Cana with the Pope on this week's Catholics Coast to Coast.
1: You're listening to Pre-Cana with the Pope, a podcast aimed at restoring confidence in marriage and family life. Um, welcome everyone to another episode of Pre-Cana with the Pope um we're still here I, I one thing I like is that we're able to just have conversations
2: yes and we don't want to we don't want to script these things out or like over research like we have something that we want to talk about but we're kind of a lot of what we do is we process some of this before the episode and we we chat about it before the episode, but a lot of it is us in real time like talking about these topics and processing them and thinking them through and um, a lot of what you hear is our authentic reactions to certain things um, or conflicts or whatever.
1: I don't want to say we're responding to the, the, the videos that we're going to watch, but more reacting to them and giving our thoughts on them. Um, one is by Father Mike and the other is Andy Stanley, who we don't agree with everything he's about right now. So we're going to respond just to this part of a sermon he gave. Um, Andy Sandy for those of you that don't know, that are Catholic, he is a evangelical. Uh, actually, he might be Baptist, technically, um, but he's a he's a non uh, he's a Protestant uh, pastor who is now um, not as liked as he used to be. Um, but I still think the points that he made are pretty valid and worth bringing up. Um, both the pros and cons of both videos. So I think mm-hmm. I like, that's cool. Anything else you want to say before you jump
2: yeah. in? Yeah, I think that um, you said that you don't know how relevant this is. I think that this is a I think that this is definitely a topic that gets covered a lot and I hope that our way of doing it in more conversation style is helpful for couples to again to just start conversations amongst yourselves. So like you might have your ideas, you might have your beliefs. You've heard, you know, this influencer say this and this priest say that and hopefully this it, we're we're obviously going to share our thoughts on it, but also just hopefully model a conversation so that you guys can can do that as well.
1: All right, so we're gonna jump in. Um, he's already present. He's already done his. This
2: is this is fun. Christmas. Christmas. Yep. presents. That's, when he, that's
1: how he starts his videos. All right, but he's <laughs> gonna go jump right in. Um, and his the title of his this uh video that we're reacting
3: to is do wives have to be submissive? So here is the scripture that is read in mass on Sundays, occasional Sundays. Here's a scripture that some people even choose to have at their weddings. Here's a scripture that sometimes people in the Bible in a year, or even they're just stumbling through the New Testament and they come across Ephesians chapter five, and they hit this line that says, wives be submissive to your husbands and all things as to the, the lord and all of a sudden just like whoa what is happening in fact when that comes up in the lectionary right in the cycle of readings on sundays sometimes it's just like what is happening what are we going to say youtube there's catholic twitter there's catholic all these things and there's this kind of like this rise in people talking about yeah that's what we do here's what it is husband's you are leaders. You lead your your wife. You lead your family. Men be leaders, and I'm all about men taking responsibility for themselves. Making men taking responsibility for the people around them, people that are under under their care. But what does it mean to say, okay, guys, you need to lead. You need to lead your family. You need to lead your wife. You need to lead her, and also she needs to submit to you in all things as to the Lord. I
1: like, think. What does that actually this mean? This is important. The reason this verse and the understanding of this verse is so important is because. Um, we have seen a trend in in just Christianity in general, I think like very broadly in Christianity that, that it tends to be more, uh, it tends to appeal more to women. So you see less men in it. Um, I think in the 1960s, 1970s, there was a movement in Protestant circles called muscular Christianity, which which is very, it's very interesting that that was a thing then it's becoming a thing. Now they don't call it muscular, Christianity now, but the idea was that that Christianity was a way of growing in virtue. And so like being, there's a like a small group of, of Protestants would consider themselves part of muscular Christianity um, because they felt like the, the popular version of Christianity that was out there was more feminine. The songs are more feminine, the, the prayers and the idea of, of, you know, sharing your feelings and praying to God for help and stuff seem more feminine to them. So they wouldn't appeal to them. Um, And I think we have a lot of that now to the point that like you, it's not atypical to see a mom bring her kids to church and the dad stay home or not be present. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think we should, like we should, we should emphasize to all married Catholic couples that like Ephesians five applies to the husband Mm -hmm. and he can't, just assume that his wife is going to take care of the faith lives of herself and the children and that they need to lead. Mm-hmm. Right. They need to be active. They need to be involved. And I think that's an important part of this verse that, that can't be like just I don't that know. That
2: can't be overlooked.
1: Right. It can't be overlooked. You can't just forget that this is a part of it. Um because like you could I could see people being like, they're uncomfortable with the whole verse of uh, the idea of being submissive, so therefore let's throw it out. But then I feel like then I feel like you lose the not not the incentive, but you lose the command like the onus and the responsibility that the husband's supposed to own.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Like it's not there anymore.
2: Yeah. I think that I, so things that I was thinking of were like, you had been, you've been reading a leadership book for work. Yes. Right. And then I, uh, we, we've talked about read, reading Brene Brown's Daring Greatly. And um, she has a leadership book that, that is like based on that popular book.
1: Leading Greatly. Leading Greatly. I That's think. not it. No, no. It's, I was
0: just joking. Dare, like, Dare, to, <laughs> Dare to lead. Dare to
2: lead. The other part of her title <laughs> I'm like, yeah, that sounds great. Um and so you know, when we hear leader, there's I think that there's so many different perceptions of what a leader is and how to lead and what an effective leader is and stuff. And I think I think that a lot of because that's now a trend in like literature for and motivational speakers and coaches to try to like help build up future leaders. It's like, what, is, what does leadership even really mean? You know, and like, d- yeah, what what is the task at hand? And and I wonder if these leadership skills are not being modeled and taught to boys and, and men, like effectively as well. Like, is that, could that be part of it that, like, how do I lead my family. What does that mean? What does that look like?
1: Yeah, Peter Griff talks about this a lot in his like writings about how because culturally we don't necessarily have a religion, we we tend to go to like self-help and pop psychology a lot. Like he likes mm. to call out pop psychology a lot. And I, not that Brene Brown's stuff is all pop psychology. I do think that the church could teach on all these things if it tried to, to an extent. And I think that because we don't get formation in certain areas, like we and we I think we talked about this in the last podcast, uh, last episode that we since we don't see formation and leadership in how to do that, we start looking at like Mm -hmm. secular culture for it. Um, So yeah, I think you're right. I think that's why you see a lot of this stuff popping up everywhere um, because men and women both have this desire to lead well Mm -hmm. in whatever capacity they have and, or wherever their sphere influences. And because the church doesn't really give them direction on how that's, what's that supposed to look like? Um, Like What what does
2: that look like in your home and in a marriage mm -hmm. and things like that? Like, have had that in high school if you were like a team captain or, you know, I, I'm trying to think of like, and even in the workforce, you work on your leadership. There's different programs that help you work on your leadership skills, but like, what mm-hmm. does it mean to, re, you know, or yeah. I, don't know. Well, I think like, a military, like leaders in the military. I don't know.
1: Yeah. No, there's even a, um there's a book called how to lead when you're, Bu- when you're not in charge, how to lead when you're not in charge, I believe it's called. And there's one analogy he used in there. About how we learn leadership from the, I think he says, like, one of the first ways we learn about the word leadership is the game follow the leader, Mm -hmm. which usually means like we all, when you're a little kid, you're all walking in a line and you do whatever the first person does and everyone's got a copy. Um, And you assume like that's what leadership is, is like one person's in charge and they tell everyone else what to do. And if you're a follower, you have to, and I think we we create a dichotomy like that of like you're either a follower or you're a leader. So, like, so then I I see the, the idea of submission in families be, be skewed because like women may not want to even encourage their husbands to be leaders if they feel like a leader is someone who just tells you what to do.
2: Bosses you around. Yeah. Yeah. And
1: then, then, and and then you're either a leader or you're a follower. If we have that false dichotomy in our head, Mm. uh, dichotomy being like dichotomy is a thing like there's one or the other. So like, it's a, it's a false narrative that we create. But like, if we feel like if I make my husband a leader, then I'm, that means I'm a follower. Like there's no other option. Uh, Like there's no incentive to, to to, make
2: this very controversial. Right. Yeah.
1: Which would which make, but then you also then left with like, then you're hu- not saying all husbands are. I'm t- I tend to lean as very, like, diff- very tough on husbands. Sorry. But then you have husbands who are just like n- not involved in any faith, anything. And I, I, I wonder sometimes if wives prefer that because the, the alternative is like, I have someone who. Maybe can be perceived as an oaf, I'm not calling him that, but like then he's telling me what to do, like he doesn't even know how to do x y z like mm-hmm. why would it why would I follow him right like there's there's that so
2: yeah,
1: am I being too harsh
2: no i I think that that's a lot of where this controversy comes from, like why people have a hard time with this with this reading,
1: but I also think this is that also shows why we need it, yeah because. I don't, know, I don't know. I feel like if a husband is home and like isn't someone that the wife can trust to lead them, like that's, that's a problem
3: that we need to be addressing. For sure. Keep going. In Ephesians chapter 5, I think it's verse 21, St. Paul begins this whole section by saying, be mutually submissive to each other out of reverence for Christ. So be mutually submissive to one another out of reverence for Christ. Here's the first thing. One is, Paul is saying, submit to each other. You know, I've talked to couples who have said that they hear this And now from the outside, it's like, oh, it just seems so like, I don't know, i kind of cringy. But from the inside, I talked to this bride and groom just the other day. The bride was saying, well, I just, I trust him. And so, uh, so yeah, I want to follow his lead. And she said, that just makes sense for me. And I said, yes, this is the whole context that St. Paul's talking about when he says, be mutually submissive to one another out of reverence for Christ. Number one, this is mutually submissive. So this is husband and wife submitting to the other. Right? Mutually submissive. Secondly, what is it to submit? What is it to be submissive? It is to place yourself under the mission, submission.
1: I like Father Mike a lot.
2: <laughs>
1: I have two thoughts. Do you have any thoughts first before I? I want you to go first
2: because what I have to say will. I, I can follow up with what you're going to say. I've Do you know me. what I'm going to say? I, I'm going
1: to say two different I things. I know the
2: general direction where you're going.
1: Okay. I'm going to say two different things. One, uh, the. Uh, the the mutually submissive
2: phrase. focus.
1: No, the focus on being mutually submissive is almost exclusively JP two, right? So that that it wasn't really. I don't. I have not read anything about mutual submission until he starts writing about it.
2: So that's not in scripture. That phrase is not in scripture.
1: No, it is. It well, no, the word mutually submissive is not. It says right. it does says it does. Uh, we can pull up actually because because we're on the internet and we're live doing this. Sorry. So in Ephesians twenty-one, uh, be, it does it says be subject to one another out of reference for Christ. So there, the word mutually submissive is not yeah in scripture, but the idea of both everyone be subject to one another that's in that's in there. Yes. Um. But but I th- my my point being that it's not a bad okay. thing that mutual mutual submission is is being emphasized now. Um, because I think that's, that's a, that was a big emphasis of JP2 anytime he did exegesis, which exegesis is like the explanation, or like drawing out meaning from scripture based on tradition and, and like context and everything. Like I, I think that JP2 brought a lot of light to Ephesians 5 through that because I prior to that, the emphasis wasn't necessarily on the mutual submission, but more on the, the roles of husband and wife. So like if you read the other encyclicals, if you read the other um, writings of the of the saints. Like they, they focused on like the husband is the head and the wife needs to submit. And like, that was just emphasized a lot. And then JP two, And I think this is through a development of doctrine. Like it, and not necessarily doctrine because this isn't like a, Sound like the Trinity or something like that, um, but just development development of the understanding of what what St. Paul is writing here and how the Holy Spirit is still speaking to that in in our context in our in our culture. Um, St. JP, JP two focuses on mutual sub, mutual submission, which so I think that's a big positive. Like I, th- I and I, but I think that as Father Mike moves to what does submission mean, it means to be under the mission of. I struggle with that because. That's taking what JP two was saying and then move moving it to like moving to a direction that I'm like I don't that's not what the text actually says because the word submission isn't in the text right so like in the actual letter of Ephesians five Saint Paul writes the word be subject to right so he says be subject to one another out of reverence for Christ so that's not the same word as submission so like even in
2: different translations
1: well so like so maybe maybe in the other translations it could be submission but like they could also say uh like sorry so the way like when people when when um theologians and scholars translate scripture so that they may not even necessarily be christian depends on like what committee mm-hmm. but like they get together and they look at the original text of greek and they look at the whole thing in context and in most most what mostly what happens is like they look at everything and try to make it make sense because sometimes like the phrases that they use like same as like if you ever actually, you've never translated things from Spanish. I have. <laughs> but so like I can say a thing to you in Spanish mm-hmm. and if I directly translate it to English, it you word make. for word, it makes no yeah, sense. Yeah, yeah. Like it does Like it doesn't make sense. So I have to translate it in a way that will make sense in English if I'm translating it from Spanish. In the same way, like when they're taking Greek text, they're, they could be translating it in a way that like this won't make sense to an audience. How can I make it make sense to an English-speaking audience? Um, fun fact. Did you know that if you do you know that episode of Bluey when she's talking like when she meets that French friend and like no. they're, they're playing at the park there's a river they're, Sorry. Playing. they're playing oh yeah yeah, yeah 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 so if you watch that episode of Bluey in French he speaks English
2: oh wow it's really funny okay well, cool. back to well Greek done,
1: Bluey back to Greek I have ADHD <laughs> but um so like if you they they take you have to make it make sense. Makes sense for an English-speaking audience, so some translations may use submission. So okay. be be submissive to uh, one other of reference to Christ, but the so like if we, we look here, so Monica and I are going to jump on um, one of my favorite tools because I'm a nerd is Bible Hub. Um, so in Bible Hub, you can it's I, I like you can look at different translations of, the, of scripture or whatever, um, but I like looking at the actual text itself, mm-hmm. and then when you go to and I'm walking right through this, but so as you go here, you can actually look at what the word is in Greek. Um, so you can actually look at what what words are being used, and then if you click the word, so if I click the word Greek in Greek of submiss of um subject, it it gives me the actual word in Greek, and then if I click that Greek word, it says where else has it been used in scripture. So if you look at the Greek that that's being used, the same word in Greek in terms of um be subject to one another, and then wives be subject to your husbands is the same thing as as with demons being subject to Jesus's name, people being subject to the law. So the word that's being used is not the same word as, as submissive and then going into being under the mission of. Mm. So like I, I, cause that's also like submissive in English means this. And then that means to be under the mission of but like, that's not what the word is being used. Like the same word that's being used is similar to the word that's being used for demons being subject to Christ. So like I think that's I just think that's important that like the, the subjectness and being subject means like a different thing. There's still hierarchy. There's a there's a hierarchy and like like if you think if like if you and I, I think this could be pushing it too much to be like it's the same as demons need to be subject to Christ the way that demons would be subject to Christ that's that's how wives should be subject to their husbands like I think that's a, that's a little harsh to say it without context but that's also the word that Saint Paul is using mm-hmm. so I don't I don't think you do it justice by trying to soften it by using an English, the English translation to explain it. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah. So like there's, there is a level of hierarchy and authority that is being talked about here first out of to to one another out of reverence for Christ. So I think it's important to unpack, um, but not necessarily through the idea of being under the mission of, mm-hmm. so that was my, that's my full thought.
2: Um, so the point I wanted to pick the, like make sure isn't lost that he, that he brought up was um, speaking to a new bride. And her, her um, like willingness and not acceptance, but like her um, enthusiasm for this idea because she trusts her husband. And I think that that's a really, really important thing that like if we have engaged couples listening or, or couples that are dating, that like I think that this is extremely important to consider in your relationship of, do you trust your future spouse? And then also like, like this is a gut check, but like husbands and wives, like, do you trust your spouse that they, like, do you trust your husband that they would lead and be a good leader? Because that's part of their call. That's part of their job as a husband. And like, Do you think that the person you're with is, is up for the job, up for the task? Like, are they ready for it? Do you trust them with that? And I think that that's really important. And if the answer is no, or you have some sort of hesitation, I think that that's a really big thing that needs to be addressed. Like, why, Hmm. where is that, where is that gap in, in trust happening? Where is that hesitation coming from? Um, is it part of it because you're a control freak? Cause I know that's part of my issue. You know, like, is it, is it that? Or is it because he does things differently from you and you don't understand it? Or is there really some, some lack of virtue that he's not prepared to be a leader for? Mm. And like, that needs to, that needs to be addressed.
1: Yeah. Uh, with what you're saying on, cause he brings up the bride trusting the husband. Doesn't necessarily bring up the husband trusting the bride. I do think, I do agree with mutual submission. Because it's in scripture, it's clear. It's clear in scripture. I like. I I agree with what JP two is saying. Um, I think the point that a lot of people struggle with is like, well, does that mean we both are we both are subject to each other in the same way? Mm -hmm. And I think that's no, because there needs to like. There's a difference between us, and the difference is good because of complementarity, and. Therefore, we are not subject to one another in the same way. We are subject to one another out of reverence for Christ, in the same way that like you could you could say that he's. If you want to extrapolate this for the for wider con- congregation, oh my brain! I'm trying to keep it on. one I'm trying to keep it on one. Okay, so wait, no, this is important for a wider kind con- congregation. So if you look at, sorry, we should have started with this, like the letter of St Paul to the Ephesians.
2: Mm-hmm. Um, this is a big. If yeah.
1: you look at it, wait, what do you, do you know? What I'm saying.
2: I think so. We'll see. Okay. Cause I just, I'll find I, out. I, I, I,
1: cause this is, I so, thought I did. So I didn't get to take a, um, the Epistles of St. Paul course in my grad class. Um, just cause I didn't have enough time to take another additional course, but I ended up seeing what their syllabus was and I bought their textbooks anyway. <laughs> so I bought their textbooks. I read through them. So one of them, um, is on is, is from a secular author, but just like a historicity of all the letters of St. Paul. Um, and he talks about how, the writing, the writing of the letter of Ephesians is more of like the, it's a, the thought has been, it's like a deeper theology, more uh, mature theology than some of the other earlier writings of, of St. Paul. He doesn't think like they, they were putting out evidence that it, necessarily, it wasn't necessarily written for the church in Ephesus, um, that that, that was, that's actually not mentioned in the earlier, earliest writings, like earliest copies of it. And that. The way it writes, it's more like a summary that could have been actually passed around from all of uh, Asia Minor, Mm. just all the different churches. So, like, because it's they're saying it reads more like a homily than it does for a letter for a specific church that needs to change things,
2: Mm.
1: but more of a homily to to like uplift the 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 Christians in that area. Yeah. So So it's
2: written really for people who are practicing the faith. Yes. Right. Like there are people that are living Christianity that are striving for all the things that Christ wants for in Asia Minor. And and so it's like an affirmation and further like detailed directives yeah. for them. But they they already have this foundation of
1: right. Well, and and, Christianity. And, he, and from chapter one all the way to six, like he's walking them through the entire gospel message. What's yes. what's you know the, the works of the Holy Spirit, um, even leading up to this part. All of um, starts of Ephesians five talking about the Holy Spirit. So it could it reads like a homily that he's doing to uplift that that mm-hmm. area. So like this idea of husbands being subject or sorry about mutual submi- s- subjection, wives being subjects, husbands love your wives, like that's that's something that he was preaching to a wider audience in just Ephesus, which I think is really important. Um and then back to my idea of like, well, and I think you and I are subject to one another in very different ways. Like um we are subject to our kids in a in a very unique way as their parents, so like I have a responsibility to them that I think they could call me out on if mm. I wasn't doing it, mm. right? Like you, if we were letting one of our kids know—almost said her name—that
2: <laughs> you gave her away. I gave it away. I gave hey, it away, girl.
1: That like they that they needed to wear pajamas to bed because we love them and they want to take care of them. Yes. Um, it's
2: starting to get cold starting in to New get England. Cold out. And like if
1: we're not doing our job as parents, like they're they're not they're gonna take you away from us because we're supposed to be doing our jobs as parents. Um and just like letting them know like we have a responsibility to you to yes. do certain things. And like I think that's a form of subjection to them. Mm. In the same way they're subject to us as, as we're their parents. But like it's that falls I think that falls under the mutual subjection uh, out of reverence for Christ. Like we're yeah. we're following our vocations the way we ought to out of reverence for Christ.
2: Interesting. Yeah. But even just like you're reframing a little bit of subjection is that like like us living that duty, that responsibility is subjection to the call of parenthood,
1: mm-hmm.
2: even though we in that are being leaders, mm-hmm. right? Like we're expected to lead in our subjection to the, the vocation of parenthood.
1: Right. And if you look at the word subjection, like that's back to like the Greek of like the the Jews being subject to the law. Yeah. Like they, they were called to something to live out this thing in a certain way. And there was repercussions for not doing it. Yeah. So they're subject to it. So like we could be subject to one another because like we, we as Christians were called to live out our vocations in a particular way. Mm. So I think that's where like the mutual subjection. And I think I, again, people may not get lost in the weeds with this as much as I do, but I think there's, there. I think this interpretation of it could bring more people together to see, like, this isn't a like either your wife has to ask you if she can tie her, tie her shoes, or like you have to be a stay at home dad. Like, there's such huge like like the pendulum swings way too far with the, with this verse, in my opinion. Um, and I think there's a way of seeing this as like this is a calling for the entire family for the mm-hmm. for the spouses that can bring to greater holiness
3: in mm. the church. It's to place yourself under the mission of the other person. And so in the context of, of marriage, here's this bride who says, oh yeah, I, I totally trust this man that I want to give my life to, I'll spend my life with. And so she said, for me, it makes sense. It's organic. It's, it's natural to trust him, to place myself under his mission because we have the same worldview. I, I know his mission. I trust his mission. I love his mission. I can place myself under his mission. And he likewise says the same thing. Saying, I know her, I love her, I trust her, I know her mission, I can place myself at the service of her mission. So that's the first part. I don't like it.
1: (laughs) But I get it. I get what he's saying, and I get like, it's so, in and and of itself, it's not wrong.
2: Right. Like his sentiment. That's not wrong. That's that's good. But that's Well, I guess,
1: I struggle with, I struggle with the idea of of the, like, I have a mission and you have a mission, and we're under under the surface of that mission. Does that make sense? That we because I feel like it has we have two separate missions.
2: When you believe we have the same mission. We should. Yeah. So I, I agree.
1: Right. Not a compromise, but not, a
2: shared vision.
1: Shared vision. Like I feel like that's what it mm-hmm. ought to be more of than yes. like.
2: But I've I've heard this sentiment shared in that like we are both under the same mission, submission. We're under the same mission. I've heard it said that way, instead of like
3: Okay, maybe I'll let him finish.
2: Individual mission. I still don't like it,
3: but I'll let him finish. Okay. The submission is I'm placing myself under your mission. I will only do that. I will only do that if I love, respect, trust the other person, if I actually believe in their mission. And then in that case, that makes sense. So, what is mutual submission? It is a mutual race to the bottom. So, husband and wife. Your eyebrows said words.
2: <laughs> well, I want to hear what he has to say. What does he mean by that?
3: Okay. They would love, respect, and trust the other. They would know the mission of the other. They'd be so united in that mission that it would be a a race to the bottom, a race to serve. And this is the, this is the key. Again, when it comes back to this, okay, men, you gotta lead your family. You gotta lead your wife. You gotta lead your, lead, lead them. You gotta just lead them. Like, okay, that means I gotta, like I'm in charge. That means, okay, I'm gonna make the decisions. Even brides will say something like that. Like, yeah, I guess that means that, you know, he makes the decisions in the family. That means he's in charge of, in, of the family. I don't – is that what it means? Is that what Christian fatherhood, Christian husbandhood, Christian leadership means? I think that we are paying attention to one part and not paying attention to both what parts. Is, do like, I, I want to stop it to come in because I feel <laughs> like ahead. it's just going to keep going.
1: No, you go. For you have things
2: you want to say. I, my eyebrows are raising. I, I mean, I didn't like the way that was phrased, race to the bottom. Um, you know what
1: Indy Stanley calls it? What? which I also disagree with, a submission competition.
2: <laughs> oh, that's catchy. He's good. Those that is, that is We might get to catchy. his video. So I get it. When I was coaching, one of the things I did when I named captains was talked about how Jesus led through service and that captains are meant to be the the greatest servers on the team. And, like, I use the story of um, the Last Supper and Jesus washing their feet. And, like, that is how captains are supposed to treat their teammates. So, like, I get absolutely, like, we should be serving one another. That is absolutely our call as spouses is to, like, is to die to oneself for the good of the other, right? And, like, I guess maybe that's what it is, like, race to the bottom is to, like, Mm -hmm. forget about yourself, you know, uh, and, and serve the other. Go ahead. You uh, so, but I think that we have to be careful not to be so gray or so like wishy-washy or there's so many ways to like live this out. I was listening to a podcast actually. It was interesting. I'm going to be careful not to be too judgy, but I don't listen to podcasts. So this is big hypocrite of me. I'm finally listened to one and I'm going to be judgy about it. But, um, So it was a, it was a woman who brought a man on to talk about what happens when spouses don't agree on NFP, practicing NFP, Mm -hmm. whether they have just reasons for NFP or one wants to practice and one doesn't want to practice and what have you. And like, what should you do? And it was very interesting because she kept talking about both and and nuanced and everyone's situation is different. And he kind of kept saying like, you're answering that so feminine. And I disagree, and I feel like I have a more masculine approach, but like there are definitely like some, some reasons to and some reasons not to. And like it's, it's really important that we know those mm. and that like we talk about them and we call each other out when we're being selfish and we call each other out when we're being. It was just, it was very interesting. And, and I felt like he didn't get to talk as much because she didn't like what he was saying. So she kind of t- tangents, but I do think that there are some very, definite, like, oh, I have to listen to everything. He says, no, not like not everything that comes out of your husband's mouth is exactly what you should do. But like at a certain point, there is a time where like somebody has to make a decision and the other goes with it. And you have to like in your marriage, you have to get to a point where you trust the leadership of the husband to make the call.
1: Hmm. You know, it's funny. I, I, in this, um, I know. I feel like when we talk about this, I skew more on the not like on the side of the women, but like I I tend to skew more like I'm harsher on the husbands, yeah, and like they need to step up and do what they have to do and serve their wives and and I think you you tend to skew more on like gotta trust your husband and right? And I mean, and I like that because like yeah. we balance each other well, yeah. Because I I agree I agree with that, um. And I think what's nice, at least for us, is that like I am not a big hulking, deep-voiced <laughs> man, so like it and like you could hear my jokes and my flamboyancy. Like I, it's it's great. Um, so like it, it clearly, I don't have you. Like I'm not ruling over you with a Peruvian thumb. Like it's it's just. <laughs> Uh, so like, but I, I, I agree with you and I like the way that we live this out. Um, because I, and I don't know, maybe this is oversharing, but I feel like for most of our conversations, um, like almost everything is a partnership. Mm-hmm. Um, and if anything, for most things, I just defer to you because I, I know the things you're better than me at. And like, it's foolish for me to think that like, I should have a, I should have like final say over aspects of our life that like I am not as educated in. I am not as um, savvy in. Like it'd be really, it'd be foolish and poor leadership to do that. And I feel like that's an important aspect of leadership that we forget. Like there's a, there's a delegating, but also that like realizing like you are, you're limited in your abilities. Mm-hmm.
2: Um, well, on that like, and I going back to the team analogy or the situation, but like, yeah, the captain is not the like it's not the captain's not always the MVP. It's not always the star player, but it's also not the entire team. They are part of the team. Like mm-hmm. you still need your team to be successful and they have skills that you don't have. You you need the you need to all be coming together and and working together in order to be successful in a team. So, I I think that that's absolutely true in marriage and I think like I think particularly especially like in our season right now a lot of the daily decisions are parenting decisions or you know like scheduling decisions and stuff and I think that you trust that I am a bit more intuitive in some of those areas and and I'm just more, I'm like I'm more aware, I'm more in it, like I'm I'm in the mess of it and you are slightly removed because you're working and you're you're out of the house more and stuff. So I think that you I don't know if it's like defer, but like, I think that you trust my judgment in a lot of these things because of of a a pretty decent track record. And then also, like, I I think I try to share why my why with you and stuff like that,
1: except when I come home on a random day where I'm. Freaking out about finances, and I cancel every single monthly subscription we have. <laughs> I cancel everything, and I'm like, we can't have anything anymore.
2: Now there's now there's ads in our Spotify. <laughs> <laughs> and you just trust me. Thank you for
1: trusting me. But like, I wonder what types of decisions couples struggle with making. Because mm. I feel like for most things, I don't. I can't think of anything we're not on the same page about in in terms of our family, our marriage, like the way the the house is. Like kids, everything. Like I feel I like we're there, on the same page. I
2: think that there were more things though that we weren't when we were first married.
1: Yeah, yeah. No, I know. I just feel like I wonder. Like, say, I guess maybe it's, are those things? Like, are there other things? Oh, that, that we didn't. That we that we haven't e- experienced yet. Mm. Right. I mean, we're gonna have to get another car soon. So maybe it's that. Like, <laughs> I
2: don't want to think about
1: it. But uh, at least in our marriage, I feel like there's there's very little things that need. Deciding, like, we're kind of like,
2: oh, because we're doing it, not like that there's not decisions to be made, but like we're kind of making them together. What decisions are we making? Oh my gosh, I feel like I make a thousand decisions a day. This is the you go listen to the mental load episode. Look at you go,
1: I'm so proud of you. <laughs> this, do you? Oh man,
2: oh yeah, oh, like
1: what, like what for lunch? Like, maybe some couples, like,
2: yeah, and like, like what the kids dinner? were wearing for the soccer game because it was cold out, and then like,
1: oh, interesting. But like, so I guess I, I would love to know from couples, like, do you, do they like say for example, so I tell you, like the kids had to go out and it was really cold. Like, do they like pull out the Ephesians 22 for that? Like, Hey, they need to wear these jackets.
2: I think some do. Why? So
1: I feel like that's an (laughs) odd reason for like what's for dinner.
2: So like, I think like bigger than that is decisions of like what we're going to do today. Like kind of the compromise versus shared vision one of our shared visions is that our family goes to everything together to support uh, one another but like I think couples could not have that shared vision and then they argue over like dad wants to stay home and mow the lawn and like do house chores or whatever and miss the soccer game and but like we that's just automatic for us is that we all yeah. is that we go together
1: interesting so I think well I think then a big danger of Ephesians, 522 implemented poorly is that I guess the thing to keep in mind is that like we could and we being men could rationalize anything as being, well, this is the greater good for my family. So like for today, it's too cold to mow the lawn today, but if it wasn't, um, actually not, (laughs) it was freezing. I am not mowing
2: the lawn. Peruvian. Peruvian
1: (laughs) My Peruvian thumb
2: will not be out there. You and your mom.
1: I was fine. I was. Your
2: mom, she was there.
1: She was there. She hated. She was an Eskimo. How cold it was. <laughs> she was an Eskimo. No, but so because I, I feel like we could we could rationalize anything. We could rationalize that like staying home and doing all of the outdoor work is serving my family. We could also rationalize like me going to all of my kids' games and avoiding all the work is serving my family, right? Like we could rationalize either way, and I, I don't and say like either way is serving my family and and being a leader. Um, and I think that's why it's important to like we should be bouncing that off of our wives yes. and making sure that we're serving them well. Like, yes. it's not like we could just, it, yeah, can you, can you imagine being going into a new company? You're the boss and you are telling everyone how this needs to be run without getting input from the people who are actually doing it. Like that's, that's what I feel like at least what you're telling me and what I'm envisioning is that men could do it in a certain way. That's like, makes it seem like I'm your input is irrelevant. I'm going to do what I think my vision is. And you need to be under my vision because yes. I'm the husband.
2: Right. And I feel like that's, and I think that's where the controversy. I think that's where a lot of the controversy of
3: this comes from, and why the biblical vision of wives submit to your husbands, husbands love your wives. Chief Paul goes on to say, "Husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church and handed himself over for her to purify her." How did Jesus love the church? <laughs> by emptying himself out, not by being in charge, not by making the decisions, but by serving to the point of death. If your husband said that, if your husband said, I'm at your service, I'm here to serve this family, I'm here to serve you, I'm here to lay down my life for you, would you be willing to submit to your husband in that case, to place yourself under that mission of this man who says, I will lay down my life for you, and he actually does it? My guess is you probably would, and this is the last word. The last word is, when we talk about these things like lead and submit and all these kind of things. Sometimes it doesn't look how we think it should look. But as long as it's happening, then we just rejoice and say, okay, God, may you be praised. We are striving to live according to your teaching. We're striving to live according to what you presented to us. And it just might not always look how I thought that's it would That's a very, look. very good point. Because I think that's...
2: I thought that I thought it went along a lot with what you're saying, the complementarity of of how like how we do this and how we live this mm. is not just masculinity and femininity but like the individual people mm-hmm. too and their charisms and their personalities and like yeah the things that they're good at
1: yeah but i feel i feel like the the even deeper the point of like it's not going to look the way you think it might look
2: i feel like we have a lot more to say though i feel like we're gonna have to do another
1: a part do <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah
1: that's french <laughs>
2: I don't. I'm I wouldn't know. From Bluey.
1: I'm from Bluey. <laughs> um,
2: yeah. I think that we, because I, I really want to hear the. I want, I want to respond and react to the Andy Stanley. And then there was that other, um, reel that you sent about the um, Grace Ezer, and it was, and it went on with like the 1950s. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I feel like we opened that. There's can so of worms. much stuff to say. Okay, I so, so yeah. but the, well, so, so I, is this a part one
1: episode? I would love for it to be a part one, but I think. I'd love for our listeners to to let us know if this is a direction they want us to keep going. Mm -hmm. That you want us to keep expanding on. Because there's more additional interpretations out there that we could keep talking about.
2: Yeah. All right. Keep reacting to.
1: And we will see you at the next episode.
0: Well, the importance of mutual submission and the role that the trust and complementary play to each other. How do we do that? We'll let that help you this week. Full episodes of Pre-Cannel with the Pope always available at Podcast Central at EWTN.com slash radio. I'm H McCain. When Catholics Coast to Coast returns, we're going to take letters from home, this podcast from St. Paul Center's Daily Scripture Reflections from the Mass, and Dr. Scott Hahn helping us to look into, grant us, we pray, O Lord our God, the consistent gladness of being devoted to you. As we celebrate Advent together, this is a lasting happiness that can continue throughout. So we take it with us as we check in with Letters from Home when we return on Catholics Coast to Coast.
3: The destination for great Catholic audio programming is EWTN Podcast Central, featuring the
4: best of EWTN radio, as well as faith-filled podcasts from our friends and affiliates across the nation, all in one place, all free. If it's
3: central to the faith, you can find it on EWTN Podcast Central. It's
4: like podcast heaven. Visit EWTN.com slash radio slash podcasts today. Hi, I'm Scott Hahn, and I want to welcome you to Letters from Home, a podcast from the St. Paul Center, where we take a close look at the Scripture readings for today's Mass. Today is Monday, November 20th. It's the Monday of the 33rd week in Ordinary Time, and I must confess that the readings for today are going to strike all of us as somewhat dark. Now, that might seem odd, but then it's also fitting because let's look around our culture— our civilization, this historical period. Don't you find traces of darkness here and there (laughs) or everywhere? Well, so did the people of God. The first reading is taken from 1 Maccabees chapter 1. In this ominous introduction to the book of 1 Maccabees reminds us of what the people of God, the Jews, faced. From the descendants of Alexander's officers, there sprang a sinful offshoot, Antiochus Epiphanes, Now, that opening verse sort of disguises things because Antiochus IV Epiphanes was the one who ruled the Seleucid Empire from 175 BC to 164, and famously, it was his desecration that triggered the Maccabean Revolt from 167 to 160. Now, we don't have to be ancient historians to recognize this represents one of the most frightful periods in salvation history for the people of God. Why? Well, because as the emperor of the Seleucids, or we would also call them the Greeks, the Hellenistic Empire, we read that in those days there appeared in Israel men who were breakers of the law. What? Yeah. There were Israelite people who were no longer intent upon keeping the Torah. Not only that, they weren't content with just breaking it themselves. They seduced many people. And then to take it a third step even lower— They said, let us go and make an alliance with the Gentiles all around us. Look at the Greek word, that is diatheke, literally, let us make a covenant with the Gentiles all around us, since we're separated from them. So many evils have come upon us, and the proposal was agreeable not to every single person, but to the vast majority of the Jews, the idea of just standing in constant opposition to those who have the power and the wealth and and the control. And so what happens? Some from among the people promptly went to the king and he authorized them to introduce the way of living of the Gentiles. What does that even mean? They built a gymnasium. Now, I would read that as gymnasium but it isn't a place where you go and work out. A gymnasium back then for the Gentiles was a public bathhouse. It was a training facility but it comes from the Greek word gymnos which is the term for naked or nude and it was only for adult males and it was where you went not only to work out but also to hear lectures to give talks you know the influencers the teachers were there. In the gymnasium where? In Jerusalem. Thud. Woe. Thereupon they built a gymnasium in Jerusalem according to the Gentile custom. And to make matters worse, they covered over the mark of their circumcision. They were nude, and so they wanted to appear to be uncircumcised just like the Gentiles, and so they abandoned the Holy Covenant. They allied themselves with the Gentiles and sold themselves to wrongdoing. Now, I don't mean to be flippant but let's just ask ourselves the obvious question. Do you find that there are Catholics in 21st century America who have compromised their own faith, their own sacramental bonds, their own moral obligations? Yeah. And what do the politicians say? Oh, go back to practicing your faith, please. Not even close. So in the next verse we read, then the king wrote to his whole kingdom that all should be one people. In other words, in the name of unity... Each group must abandon his particular customs. So all the Gentiles conformed to the command of the king, and many children of Israel were in favor of his religion. It was a kind of political religion. The source of law is, by definition, your God. And once this horrible emperor becomes the source of law, then he is the epiphany of God upon earth. That's why he called himself Antiochus Epiphanes, and they sacrifice to idols and profane the Sabbath. I just want to kind of state the obvious. We are living in a time where secularization has overtaken us in a way that 15 or 20 years ago, none of us anticipated. You know, it isn't just like a sea change. It's more like a tsunami. And so what do we need? We need fidelity. We need the grace and the mercy of God. And as you continue reading about these horrible abominations that were done in Judah, in Jerusalem, with the people of God, you recognize that they faced persecution for whoever was found with the scroll of the covenant, whoever observed the law was condemned to death by royal decree. Now, there comes a time and a place for men like Judas Maccabeus to rise up and to lead the revolt like was triggered shortly thereafter. But at the same time, what we have to do is to lead a revolt within our hearts. That is not to comply, not to compromise, not to cave in to the pressures, but to enthrone Jesus Christ within our hearts upon the throne of our minds, so that what we decide to do with our time today, tomorrow and the next day, in terms of prayer, how we drive to work, how we relate to our coworkers, how we come back home and relate to our spouses and our children, This is where the life of Christ, this is where the law of God will be lived in the most fruitful way. The Responsorial Psalm is a snippet taken from the longest psalm in the whole Psalter, Psalm 119, and I think it really gives us the signal to move forward in our own lives no matter how much we feel completely overwhelmed. We are surrounded, we're outnumbered, we're outgunned, and yes, we're even infiltrated, So what do we conclude? That this is the time that God has determined for us to become saints by being faithful Catholics. So what is the responsorial? Give me life, O Lord, and I will do your commands. And notice the realistic tone of the responsorial psalm. Indignation seizes me because of the wicked who forsake your law. Though the snares of the wicked are twined about me, your law I have not forgotten redeem me from the oppression of men that I may keep your precepts. I am attacked by malicious persecutors who are far from your law. This idea of cancel culture, of these people who call themselves woke, this is not only modern, this is ancient. The idea of canceling culture is the same as canceling the covenant with God, with the people of God. And so the responsorial ends Far from sinners is salvation because they seek not your statutes. I beheld the apostates with loathing because they kept not to your promise. These are words not only to read, but to reflect upon, to internalize, to write them upon our hearts, so that we don't pretend that everything is only and always good all around us, that we recognize that no matter how things get really bad and go from bad to worse around us, He who lives within us is always going to be the source of life, of mercy, of love. And even if we find ourselves practically blinded by the darkness that engulfs us, I realize I might sound a little melodramatic here, but I, I must admit I am touched by a twinge of melancholy from time to time. Kimberly would acknowledge that the gospel reading is the antidote. The gospel is the answer to the questions that arise in our hearts. As Jesus is approaching Jericho, a blind man sitting by the roadside, begging, cries out, Jesus, son of David, have pity on me. And the crowds are like, yeah, shut up, come on. But they continued rebuking him, telling him to be silent. And so he continued crying out, son of David, have pity on me. Jesus stopped and ordered that he be brought to him. And when he came near, Jesus asked him, what do you want me to do for you? He replied, Lord, please let me see. I love what the Lord Jesus Christ says next. Have sight. Your faith has saved you. This has got to be the cry that arises from our hearts. In the Latin, it is Domine Udvidium. It's one of my favorite prayers. It's just an ejaculatory prayer you trace all the way back to St. Jose Maria Escriva. Lord, that I may see, domine ut vidium. It's dark. It's really confusing. I look around and I sometimes feel a little bit overwhelmed or a lot. That I may see in this time of darkness, that I may see you high and lifted up, enthroned as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. No matter who runs for president, no matter who wins, no matter what we hear on the cable news network, we know the good news of Jesus Christ. And even if we're physically blinded by all of this stuff, spiritually, we will be given the same eyesight that we will see the Son of David, and he will have mercy on us, and he'll give us that supernatural vision, like a laser beam that pierces through the darkness we will find our way all the way home and behold the face of God the Father forever as members of his beloved family. This is not rhetoric. This is not pietistic language. This is reality. This is the truth of what it means to profess our faith in God the Father Almighty who will get his sons and daughters home. So I want to encourage you to lay hold of the treasure of the Word of God especially as we come to the close of the liturgical year where we're hearing more and more about judgment, darkness, the second coming, because we know that Advent is right around the corner, and we're going to be celebrating the joy of Christmas in a matter of weeks. But let's not press fast forward. Let's allow ourselves to really recognize that here and now the Word of God will illuminate the path before us. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. May the Lord richly bless you. Until we meet again, take care. Great
0: reflections as we head into the Advent season. Letters from Home, always available at Podcast Central at EWTN.com slash radio catch up and always make sure you tell your friends share subscribe whatever you need to do so you don't miss future episodes that's going to do it for this week's catholics coast to coast thanks for spending time i hope you had a great thanksgiving and as we head into advent we'll have more great programs and conversations that help to deepen our walk with god remember to let god define who you are and i'll see you again on catholics coast to coast